the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, sir. They checked my ID at the door. They let me in anyway. (laughs) So we're here. Good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good to have you on board for this Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Just five minutes after the hour of five o'clock, and uh, we welcome you into another edition of Lifeline. We are, of course, here each Monday through Friday from five until seven p.m. addressing issues that impact your life, your world. And your Christian walk. Okay, let's see. On the agenda today, of course, being Wednesday, we're going to continue with part number four of our ongoing Bible study series, The Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the Cords That Bind You. Pastor Don Scott Damon will join us a little bit later on in this first hour. We'll keep you apprised of traffic on your way home this Wednesday. And by the time all is said and done at 7 o'clock, a good time shall be had by all or at least that's our uh, that's our plan. Well, we are uh, we are full swing. I was talking to a colleague earlier today about this. We are full swing into election season already. I maybe I'm getting to be old, but back in the day, it seemed to me that we elected our president in November. We did a inauguration in January. Then we let the president run the country for a couple of three years. And then we started talking about beginning the process all over again, president run for re-election, et cetera, et cetera. And the political season for the White House, the race to the White House, was about a year long. Now it seems like we elect them in November, inaugurate them in January, and in February we're talking about who's going to take over in four years' time. Wow. With all of that, I think it can certainly be agreed by everyone, liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, and in between, that um, we're probably going to see a nasty and contentious race for the White House heading into 2020, and already some of those uh, earmarks seem to be around the perimeter, as we've talked about debates and things of that sort so far. Um, A big part of the challenge, I think, that we're facing these days when it comes to election cycles is that the truth seems to have taken a back seat. And sadly, in some respects in politics today, truth seems to be whatever you want to make it to be. Um, You're entitled to your own truth. Make it up as things go along based on your own political agenda or narrative. Doesn't matter. Or doesn't matter. And that is one of the core things we want to talk about at the start of today's program. It might be concluded by some that on an ever-increasing basis, Americans seemingly don't really want the truth. They don't want to face it. They don't want to confront it. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to engage it. What they want is something to believe in. And if you just say the right words as a politician and give people something to believe in, they will look the other way if what they believe in doesn't quite square up 
with truth. Now, in this case, I'm not talking about truths such as what what was the truth about the amount of money we spent in the budget, things of that sort, but more about truth at the fundamental core. From a Christian perspective, we understand, from a biblical perspective, we understand that Jesus Christ is truth. Let's talk a bit about this as we're joined by Sam Rohrer. Sam, of course, is the president of the American Pastors Network and the Pennsylvania Pastors Network. He writes and produces a weekly radio program, Stand in the Gap, heard on radio stations across the country. And he joins us now by phone. And Pastor Rohrer, always great to have you on the show. Craig, it's uh, always great to be with you as well. Wow. Uh, Truth. You know, there used to be a day and an age when you could stop somebody in their tracks if you said, that's not the truth, and then delineate the reasons why, or spell out what the truth was, and nine times out of ten, most people would stand down. Today, it seems that we either want to make truth a very malleable thing so that we can mold it into whatever seems to be convenient for us, or we just simply say, you know what, the truth doesn't matter anymore. How did we come this far? How do things devolve, in your opinion, morally, spiritually, politically, this far? I, I, I think, Craig, that well, I looked at the Scripture on that. I think it's a great place to look. I think we can find things from history, certainly there have been things that have happened in this country as a matter of official uh, national policy, such as throwing out the Ten Commandments years ago, yes. Throwing out prayer from the schools, yes. Um, uh, redefining marriage at the high courts, yes. Declaring uh, the murder of uh, unborn babies to be legal and appropriate, yes. We know these things have happened. I would submit, though, Craig, that those are symptoms uh, I think that before those things came into being, and before those things became official actions by the highest uh, courts in the land and by government officially, which, uh, as God looks at a nation, those are the things that he really judges nations by when those kinds of actions reach the highest levels of authority. But I think what happened was that the culture in the nation walked away from God himself earlier that led to those actions taking place. So one really preceded the other. I mean, certainly we can point to many of the failures on a political level, on a moral level, the moral decline in our country. But what you're suggesting is that what set the stage for that, what sort of paved the way for those failures, was the the erosion of biblical truth. You mentioned, and I'm glad you did, uh, what transpired in this country in the early 1960s um, and some people think, oh, that was Kennedy's assassination. Well, that, that might have been the big event that hit the headlines. But the real event that I think ultimately had the greatest uh, damage at the, at the foundation of America was, and you touched on this, Pastor Rohr, uh, when we abandoned the importance of Scripture in the public square, when we suddenly said that we can no longer teach our children right from wrong based on the Ten Commandments, when we suddenly said that prayer has no place in the public square either. And I would suspect that those actions um, really began this unraveling of the the essential fabric of American society. Would you agree? Yeah, I would agree, uh, because without truth as a, as a foundation, uh, there is no, um, there's no anchor to keep the ship in place. There's no rudder to, to, to direct that ship. 
there is no it's 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 the parable of building a house on sand uh truth is the foundation uh that foundation upon which one builds a life a family uh, a nation uh are only those things that are built upon god's model the creator of all that we see and as god defined the individual and linked him to a relationship with god uh and uh, and the requirement to um uh to uh, submit before that God and the bow before him, which everyone will do at one point, uh, or the family, as God has defined it, father, mother, children, uh, who father who is to exhibit the, the, the pattern of God in that family and to lead the wife as uh, Christ leads the church, ultimately we understand, and together they raise up children, a godly seed, God's plan. When that is departed, when that foundation is thrown aside, then the found then the father i mean the family as a structure falls apart uh the, the scripture says blessed is the nation whose god is the lord god told israel you put me first you follow my commandments and uh, deuteronomy 30 talks about it uh, you choose to follow me my commandments and what i say that is equivalent to choosing life and choosing life as a nation will result in security for the nation in prosperity for that nation good weather to make the crops uh, grow, all of those things will happen. God says, you choose the other, you reject me as truth, as the standard, then the opposite will come. It's not real difficult, I don't think, Craig, from, a, from an understanding of biblical truth. God laid out that pattern which gives predictability, hope, joy, satisfaction, security for the person, for the individual, for the family, and for the nation, and certainly the Church. But when we say we don't need God and follow our own way, all of those things fall apart. And I think that is at the heart, and we can do that sometimes very unwittingly. I think very easily we can, uh, we can fall into that trap of, uh, of, of idolatry where we worship and trust our bank accounts and, and the blessings that God gives, frankly, more than the giver of those blessings. And that's what God told Israel. I think it's what we've done as a nation, and uh, that is where we are, and that's probably about as simply as I as I think I can state it, because that's the way God states it. I, no, I think it's very articulate the way you have outlined that, and at the end of the day, this is very much a matter of the consequences of wrong choices as it relates to free will, and you, you, um, you use the word choice several times there, and I am struck by the fact that, um, you know, we do have free will. God, since the Garden of Eden, has allowed mankind to exercise free will, although he always stipulated that there would be a choice and consequences related to those choices. Sadly, many of the choices that we have made has led us to a state where it seems on an ever-increasing basis we have been uh, turned over to a reprobate mind. Uh, we can certainly see that played out you know, everywhere in the public arena, in uh, the body politic, uh, almost everywhere. Um, the the interesting thing, the kernel of truth, the nugget here, the the glimmer of hope is that if making the wrong choice results in these consequences, does God still honor his word so that if we make the right choice, that we can see restoration brought back to the nation? We'll ponder that question. We continue our visit today. With Pastor Sam Rohr, president of the American Pastors Network. We take this time out, get a look at traffic for you right here at 516, and back with more as Lifeline continues. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back to the conversation, 520 on this basic Wednesday afternoon. Craig Roberts, along with Sam Rohrer, Pastor Sam Rohrer, president of the American Pastors Network. We're talking about the demise of truth. The good news is that truth is not entirely dead, although it's been largely rejected in much of the, the mainstream today, whether it be mainstream education, mainstream media, even even sadly within the mainstream church. I have always been bemused Pastor Rohr, about the fact that, for example, on the heels of virtually any tragedy related to a shooting, be it uh, a school campus or wherever that might be, and uh, the immediate reaction that, well, if we just had stronger gun laws, if we just enforce the laws better, uh, that would stop all of this. Uh, and, and I've always thought it interesting, particularly and sadly so in the public school arena, where 50 years ago we saw, foot to, saw fit to kick the Ten Commandments out, and then we're surprised when murder takes place on school campuses and we fail to recognize that, well, gee, if we just had a reminder up there every day about how thou shalt not commit murder, that maybe that kind of behavior wouldn't be as rampant as it is. It's almost as if there is a a disconnect um, in in the, the, uh, the, the connection between the consequences of our choices, and and what it means of those consequences in the light of Scripture. Did we lose him? Um, I think, uh, Craig, oh. that I had on mute. I apologize. Oh, no problem. Uh, okay. That, that, uh, that when that happens, I think Scripture gives us uh, a lesson for that. The book of Proverbs talks a great deal about wisdom and the fear of God. Uh, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God uh, uh, starts with searching for truth, and then that comes understanding as a part of it. If we don't fear God, meaning that we take God out of the picture as creator, we take God out of the picture as judge, the determiner of what is right and wrong, the, the fact that we will stand before him one day and give an account, if we take those elements out of the picture, then what are we left with? We're left with ourselves as God, or government as God, or something else but something other than God. And when that happens, it's forever changing. It's never standard. It's not universal. It can't be. And uh, God made that clear. So the Scripture says that a person who does not fear God and rejects Him as truth is a biblical fool. They cannot—they literally cannot think straight. They cannot think uh, appropriately, because even thinking logically, thinking thinking as we would say logically, as we've come used to <laughs> talking about, that really pre- uh, uh, presupposes, Craig, uh, an assumption or a premise of truth, and that there are some things that don't change. I mean, if two plus two is not founded on a on a on a truth, that two is always two, and we can define it, and two plus two. Uh, you can define it, and that always equals four. That's a truth. If we reject that, then one can't live. And we can't live morally. We can't live mathematically. We can't live uh, in medicine. We can't live in education if we take away that anchor of truth. And that's why I think when we look around us and we look at those who may be well-educated, those who may be positions of authority in Washington or state legislatures or whatever, and they and many times they, and they will speak and make no sense whatsoever, no sense as the Bible would lay out, 
it's because they really have no fear of God, and and sad, but they really can't. And that, I believe, is what we are seeing witnessed. It doesn't mean, just because a person's in a position of authority or a great visibility doesn't mean he knows what truth is uh, or has any fear of God, and I think we're seeing that a lot. But again, it starts with our people saying, I don't need God, I can do it on my own, then the culture kind of picks up on it, then ultimately the uh, positions of government themselves will take and rewrite God's moral law, which obviously we've talked about many of those uh, already on this program, and at that point in time you have what what I think uh, uh, Isaiah 59, uh, 14 says, that uh, judgment's turned away backward, justice, which hangs on truth, uh, stands afar off, for truth is fallen in the street. And that when truth falls in the street, then you begin to get the kinds of things that we look around, we can't explain. The Bible explains it, but it all hinges on truth, and truth hinges on understanding who God is and fearing Him. And of course, the irony is that if we surrender truth, if we decide that truth is an interchangeable commodity that can be rejected or accepted at will by any and all of us, uh, that that somehow then results in creating a moral vacuum. And, And I think what's erroneous about that conclusion is that it might, absence of truth, um, remove morality out of the equation, but it doesn't create a vacuum because to be a vacuum suggests then that it will pull something in there to fill that space. And and therefore, the reason why, if we just simply say, well, we're going to reject biblical truth, but we're just going to live in a neutral fashion, uh, we'll live and let live, and everybody can make their own choices, there won't be any consequences of this choices, we'll all just get along fantastic. Well, guess what? Uh, the, the fundamental truth related to the consequences of those kinds of choices is now something that we have to reckon with. And I think the challenge there is we need to begin to realize that when we reject truth, biblical truth, that suddenly it it allows this momentary moral vacuum to be created, and that will be supplanted by another type of morality. It won't be Bible-based. It won't be fair. It won't be uh, correct. It won't be balanced. Um, but it will be another type of morality, and we will have to live with those consequences. The big question, I guess, Pastor Rohrer, is this. I think almost to a person we can agree that we in our history of, of recent generations have made some very bad decisions. We've attempted to turn truth on its heels. We have adre- rejected truth and instead embraced a lie. And going, hearkening back to the notion that there are consequences related to the choices that we make if we have chosen to reject truth, and now we're paying the consequences and we slew them all around us, will God honor his word that if we reject the lie and go back and repent and return to the truth, if we will embrace truth, that he will then allow morality and righteousness to fill that vacuum and bring about healing and restoration? Can, can we do, is, is there still yet time, I guess I'm asking, to be able to make a different choice? There is, and that's the great aspect of uh, redemption. Uh, God created, sin came, God promised a Redeemer in Jesus Christ, and we can all come before Him, acknowledge our sin, acknowledge our, way, our, our wayward way, trust in Him, and we can be restored righteousness can return individually and to our nation 
But we had better understand that soon, because in every nation's history, they can go too far. And we better wake up, and that's why I say the remnant, those who know the truth, those who know Christ as Savior, they hold the key, because they are the salt, they are the light, let it shine, it will have its power, and it's powerful when people embrace the truth, and God's remnant are here, what we're here for, to speak it, to live it, to demonstrate it. I mentioned in my opening remarks this notion that there seems to be a growing percentile of people that don't seem to want to know the truth. They just simply want something to believe in, something to hold on to, something to give them a sense of stability in a very unstable world. Uh, We know, of course, that at the end of the day, um, one is not possible absent the other. Um, We need to know in whom we have believed. We need to be able to put our trust and faith in him. But to do that, we also need to understand and recognize what truth is, who truth is. Scripture tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so are we making choices that would suggest that we want to embrace biblical truth, or are we willing to roll the dice? Sadly, historically, in recent generations, it seems as if we've just decided, hey, let's roll the dice, let everybody sort of pick and choose, and we'll see what happens. Well, this is what happens. These (laughs) headlines that you're seeing every day, what's going on in our nation, in our world, morally, spiritually, politically, is the consequence of rejecting the truth and exchanging it for a lie. Our thanks to Pastor Sam Rohr, president of the American Pastors Network, information available on the web about his fine organization at AmericanPastorsNetwork.net. That's AmericanPastorsNetwork.net. 5.30, let's get you caught up on some traffic here, shall we, before we get into our uh, weekly Bible study in the Word. When we do that, Lo, here's a look at traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. 535 here on the Wednesday edition of Lifeline. <coughs> Let's talk to you a minute about some of the attending consequences of having gone through significant abuse in one's life. Might have taken place as a child, maybe a little bit older. Might have been emotionally based, could have been physical, perhaps sexual abuse in the worst form. The attending consequences related to the sense of guilt and shame can be overwhelming. Being able to trust oftentimes perishes with that sort of experience. One thing almost always that seems to be accompanied by that kind of experience is an overwhelming sense of anger. Anger at yourself, anger at the perpetrator, anger at God for not protecting you or manipulating circumstances that could have avoided you suffering this kind of experience. Learning to forgive in the process of healing and restoration and untying the cords that bind you is perhaps one of the biggest challenges that most people forget. Or they'll say, oh, yes, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. Well, um, 
Is it a question of learning to forget or is it learning to surrender the anger, the disappointment, to release the very valid, perhaps, grievance that you have against others? Our ongoing Bible study, The Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the Cords that Bind You, and with us today is a Bible teacher and author of this new book, Pastor Don Scott Damon. And Pastor Don, great to have you back on the program. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you. I'm looking forward to the conversation tonight, trusting that some people are going to get set free. You know, this is a hot topic, and it's one that I think everybody can mm-hmm. relate to, that no matter what the the circumstances or individual or event may be that, that, that caused this beginning of, of, of your experience in, in being in bondage. Uh, and oftentimes, because of nothing that you've done wrong, you were just, you know, wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time. But here you are. And now you're having to deal with this. And and people find a lot of coping mechanisms that we've talked through the study so far. They may turn to uh, alcohol. Uh, they may deal with depression. There may be crippling degrees in which they can no longer function at a certain level socially. Uh, one old thing that almost seems to be universal, though, Pastor, is this notion that almost everybody deals with a degree of anger, sometimes controlled, more often than not, not all that controlled. Give us a bit of insight into, is it justifiable? I mean, Scripture tells us, be angry, yet sin not. Is it justifiable? And how do we learn the ways in which we can properly and appropriately control and direct this anger so that at the end of the day, it doesn't end up destroying us? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I appreciate you saying that because sometimes anger can be a very powerful energy that we can use when we direct it correctly. I can use that energy. I can use that anger to say, I'm not going to be a victim anymore. I will not be defeated. But until we are able to move that anger towards a positive thing, a righteous anger, we have to recognize that anger sometimes is a secondary emotion. So if I think about anger, it's kind of the lazy person's response to something else. I'm hurt. I'm ashamed. I'm humiliated. I feel abandoned. I feel afraid. I'm fearful. And we're not able to articulate those feelings. So, you know, we just feel angry. And we go through life, if we don't do the work, if we don't dig in there, we're just going to go through life with a chip on our shoulder, with anger and feeling bitter, and not recognizing that, you know what, I'm just, in a way, I'm kind of copping out. I need to dig down and do the work and be willing to admit that I was so humiliated, or I was so hurt, I was devastated. And when I started going through my healing journey, I all I could feel was anger. That was the only emotion I could access. I couldn't cry. I couldn't really laugh. I just kind of was frozen, but I could access anger. And I was angry at everything, and rage was the first thing I felt. And it took me a while to say, okay, I'm going to peel back the layers and get underneath and find out that, you know what, there's a wound in my soul that until I deal with that wound, it was directly connected to my ability to forgive, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but I have to deal with that wound. 
And then take that anger and say, okay, now let's use it as energy, as fuel, to say, okay, what am I going to do? Am I going to be defeated? Am I going to be overcome by this? Am I going to be defined by this? Or am I going to use this, as I said, as fuel to move me forward and say, I'm going to possess my healing with everything that's within me? Is it a challenge for some people, even moving towards this this sort of multi-stage process that we're, we're discussing here tonight um, is there a challenge or a roadblock for a lot of people who move into that place of anger it becomes emotion that they're very familiar with they may not be comfortable with it but 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 in another sense maybe they sort of are because it's something that they're familiar with that they feel maybe um, justified in because after all they've been wronged and 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 clearly so, but that oftentimes people are challenged when it comes to learning how to release that anger, to to surrender the results of what happens with that root of bitterness that comes from that anger, because we simply deny we are angry at all, or we try to justify it by saying, "Well, I'm not really angry. It's just you know, I'm 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 wounded. I'm hurt. I've been you. You have no idea how I've been hurt." And so, therefore, they're challenged with the ability to forgive because they perhaps feel they have nothing to be to to give forgive for because they don't recognize there's anger there in the first place. Is that possible? Yes, all of that is possible. You know, everybody processes their trauma differently. And some people, you know, we talk about anger and we're looking at an expression that maybe is a very overt expression, raging. That's how I did it, raging. But some people, as we know, they dump that anger inside. And so it could look like depression. It could look like paralysis of uh, just a slumbering spirit. I just refuse to live. I'm not active. I'm passive. And you can have this person who just looks like they're they're mild-mannered, seething underneath, covered by depression, covered by almost numbness, and underneath of it, just this raging anger, too. So we can't always recognize it, but it is important to be a student of yourself, to think about what am I feeling, what am I experiencing, what, how am I interpreting life? Am I willing to take risks, or am I just kind of sitting in the background watching, as it were, through a window while everyone else lives? And all of those can be forms of anger, and certainly as a result of trauma, abuse, fear, disappointment, disillusionment with God. And we don't want to admit that we're angry with God. We don't want to admit that we're an angry person. So, yeah, we go through life denying it. But until we're willing to really take an inventory and look at it, we will continue to be bound by this thing called anger. I made reference, uh, Pastor, to the root of bitterness, and I'm I'm curious. Uh, We know certainly that anger is very much a mindset. Anybody who dwells on events and things that have done to you, been done to you and how you've been harmed and you, you sort of uh, begin to contemplate and almost get stuck there in an anger. So that relates to the mindset. But can this also um, become a heart set? And if so, what happens to our relationship with very God himself when anger becomes a heart set and now, all of a sudden, that root of bitterness over what's happened to us begins to to begin to take hold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the scripture's real clear about that. So, see to it, 
that no one misses the grace of God. And I believe that in every situation that we encounter, every sinful, every traumatic, every painful situation, there is a measure of God's grace being extended to us. And when we miss that grace of God, the Bible says that a bitter root can take place. And a bitter root defiles us and causes trouble for many. If you think your anger is only affecting you, think again. It causes trouble for many, and it defiles us. That anger, and it's not a coincidence that the Bible calls it a, a, a root of bitterness, and that, that is like a vine that comes like a cord, as we're talking about in this study, a vine, a root that wraps around us and just chokes the life out of us and causes us to be cynical, bitter, have contempt for life and for others, and literally just traps us and squeezes out, as I, I think of a python, just squeezing out the life of us, and we've missed God's grace. And what is God's grace? God's supernatural power to overcome. The Lord wants to grant to us His grace, His power, His anointing, His strength to overcome these situations. But if we reject God's goodness, and, we, and, and sometimes shake a fist at God and say, I'm so mad at you. What kind of God are you that it would allow this? And we say, I'm going to just do it on my own. We miss God's grace. We are setting ourselves up for a life entrapped by bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, discontentment, disillusionment. And it, 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 it sets us up for living so short of the glory of what God has for us. There's an interesting balance here, and we're going to talk about this in depth when we come back after the break. The, the balance where Scripture tells us, um, be angry, but sin not. It speaks of righteous indignation. We're also told in Ephesians 4 and 26, not to let the sun go down on our anger, which seems to be suggestive of the notion that we must be capable of letting go of that anger. You might be saying, well, Craig, if you only knew what I've been through, you would understand I can't let go. Can you? We'll talk about that next. Pastor Don Scott Damon, it's the Freedom Challenge, 60 days to untie the cords that bind you. Our conversation and our study continues after this. 5.46 on the clock, an update now on traffic from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our weekly Bible study series, The Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the Cords that Bind You. By the way, if you'd like to follow along, you can certainly do so. Get a copy of the book available through Redemption Press online at redemption-press.com. Also available through Bay Area Christian Bookstores and at amazon.com. Pastor Don Scott Damon is, of course, our guest and the author of the series. We're talking about this issue of dealing with anger. And my goodness, um, you know, we, we certainly know what that anger looks like. Um, some people get stuck there, as we suggested before the break, Pastor. Um, what about this notion that, that God says we can be angry, be angry and sin not? So there seems to be acknowledgement that this is not altogether 
altogether a foreign emotion by any means, but we're also told not to let the sun go down on our anger. And I find it interesting in the Lord's Prayer where Christ very specifically says, I'll teach you how to pray because you don't know how to do it. And he walks through many of those key fundamentals. And, and one aspect of that prayer, we're all very familiar with it, is that we would be forgiven as God has forgiven us. Wow. Now that puts it in a bit of a different perspective, doesn't it? Oh, it sure does, yes. Well, let's think about, first of all, anger is an emotion that comes to us. And we know that we're never um, directed in the Bible to suppress our emotions, deny our emotions, and, and feel ashamed for emotions. Emotions come, but because they do come, remember that we have the choice what we're going to do with them. Are we going to meditate on this emotion and ruminate on it? Are we going to fuel it and fire it up? Or are we going to direct it? Now, I think when we talk about, like, righteous indignation or righteous anger, do you think that's what Jesus had when he cleared out the temple and he turned over the tables? He he wasn't angry from a motive that was misconstrued or uh, misdirected. That was a, a, a righteous anger over sin or wrongdoing, mistreatment, injustice. It was as if he was saying, you know, I'm not going to be complacent. I'm not going to be numb to this. I'm not turning a deaf ear or a blind eye. And that righteous indignation, I believe, it, it, it can be from God even. But it, it, is, uh, it is not a sinful emotion or... Emotions are not sinful, but a sinful reaction to the emotion, like anger that we seize and we cling to and we hold on to, and we say, there's no way out, and there seems to be vengeance involved in this anger that God says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath or on your anger, on that emotion of wanting to get back or hurt somebody for hurting you. Don't let the sun go down on this emotion where you're seething and um, meditating on or premeditating how you're going to get back at someone. And this is where we must release and let go and give and forgive. Not easy to do, but it's a choice. It doesn't have to be a feeling. Feelings will follow. And it's something that we decide, I am going to obey God, but I'm also going to love myself enough to release this. And, and God really calls upon us to do that, because this anger, while we might feel in the moment as if it's somehow justified, um, and we turn all of our attention and energy towards that as we do so, uh, that's sapping the ability to turn our attention and energy toward our relationship with God. And again, hearkening back to the Lord's Prayer, that we would be forgiven um, as we forgive others, and think about, wow, how far God went to make sure that there was a pathway by which we might be forgiven, really suggests that God is saying to us here, um, not only is the, the target of your anger not benefiting, you're not benefiting, and in fact, coveting that anger in a sense um, and the inability to, to not only let go, but also to forgive God, 
Boy, there gets into some controversy. But the ability to do that really then opens up the door by which we might find freedom from the anger and I would suppose a, a deeper, renewed, refreshed relationship with very God himself, no? said so much right there. You know, um, when we let go of anger, when we release it, it is such a burden that comes off of us, such a weight that comes off of us, and there's such a fresh release and a, a joy and a sense of joy. When we say we have to forgive God, um, that means that it's our... Our, on our end, we held God responsible for something that didn't go right. We thought God had a, a bad motive or he didn't do something that he should have done. God is always just. He's always right. He's always holy. His ways and his judgments are always true. But it's our response. It's, it's on our end. So forgiving is really releasing our interpretation, releasing our anger, our bitterness, and saying, on my end, I was mad at you, God, and, and I need to let that go. I need to release that. And how do you want to be forgiven? In the same proportion that we forgive others is the dimension to which we're going to be forgiven. That is powerful. You've brought that up now. That is sobering for me. I'm like, I want to be quick to forgive. I want to forgive fast, freely, and fully, because unforgiveness is a poison to me. Other people are living their life, and I'm sitting here nursing the wound and hurting and losing life and losing joy. It's just hurting me. So Jesus loves us enough to say, I want you to forgive because it's good for you, and it's good for them. And we, we lose out. I think, on really experiencing the fullness of God's forgiveness when we hold that anger, that bitterness towards another. And as you so aptly point out, at the end of the day, uh, while we might wallow in that moment and it's a feeling that seems to be familiar and therefore oddly comfortable, at the end of the day, the one and only one that really is suffering from uh, coveting or hanging on to that anger be it towards another who has wounded us, who has harmed us, who has injured us, or even, as you say, transference of blame to God, thinking how somehow he let us down or he allowed these circumstances uh, because he hates us or dislikes us or whatever our perception is, that at the end of the day, we really miss out on the ability to fully experience God's forgiveness when we fail to forgive others. Forgiving others, yes. And let's not forget forgiving ourselves. I know for me, I was so mad at, at me. I would easily forgive other people, but I couldn't forgive me. Mm. I was stupid. I was I was inadequate. I wasn't good enough. I was too trusting. I was a dumb little kid. And I had to say to myself, Dawn, I, I forgive you. You didn't know. You are innocent. You And, and give myself compassion and myself grace. Um, and get in right relationship with me and quit hating me and quit being angry at me. So forgiveness is so powerful because it really is the key to unlock the shackles that keep us bound. And it's letting go and it's living. Forgiveness is me. I'm letting go of living in the perpetual trauma of the past and I'm moving into my future where God says, I know the I know the hope that I have for you. I know the purpose that I have for you. It's 
I know the future for you. It's good, and it's filled with hope. And uh, we get to live there. Beautiful, isn't it? Central to the gospel message is forgiveness, the experiencing Mm -hmm. of God's grace shown towards us that while we were yet sinners ourselves, Christ died for us, and then in him and through him, we might experience God's grace, receive forgiveness, and live everlasting life. And so be able to spread that forgiveness around towards the one who has injured you, towards God, if you hold resentment and bitterness and anger toward God, and then toward yourself, as Don Pastor Scott just mentioned. Um, These are real keys to being able to finally find release from the anger and that trap that you feel burdened and, and bogged down by and caught up in. It's a look at the Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the Cords that Bind You. With us is the Bible study teacher and author, Pastor Don Scott Damon. If you'd like to follow along, you can get your own copy of the book by going to redemptionpress.com. That's redemption-press.com. And i tell you what we'll do for you. Um, for callers number 11 and 12, as we wrap up this segment of the program, we'll give you a copy of the book. So call us right now, 888-367-5329. That's 888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. Callers 11 and 12 receive a free copy of Pastor Don Scott Damon's Bible study series, The Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the Cords that Bind You, so you can follow along in our weekly Wednesday Bible study series. Pastor Don Scott Damon, thanks for being with us. You get the phone right now. Call 888-367-5329-888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. 601 from KFAX San Francisco. Let's get a look at traffic out there for you on this Wednesday. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 